0: you boys what a game welcome to episode 60 of the maple leaf hot stove podcast i'm nick ashboard joined as always by anthony petrielli and we have another person on the mic today which is mls contributor alex drain we are coming to you shortly after the conclusion of the maple leaf's longest winning streak of the year Today's episode is mainly going to be about trade deadline, how the Maple Leafs handle that. But before we get to that, I just want to throw to each of you about you know the good vibes that have now come to an end and what we've learned. So, Alex, how about you take it away first? What is your biggest learning from you know what Sheldon Keefe and many fans thought of as the best stretch of Maple Leafs hockey this season?
1: Uh, I think you can have a few takeaways, but. One of them is just that this is still a really talented team that can uh, play with the best of them. We'd kind of been waiting all year to see that happen, and obviously a lot of the win streak was against lesser teams, but they put a couple impressive performances together against Vegas and in Colorado, so it's, it's still in there, and this is a team worth building around. And I think the other takeaway could be from last night where they iced a lineup with six left-shot defensemen and <laughs> did not necessarily go super great. And, and that can be a kind of a table setter for our uh, episode here today. But uh, right shot is still definitely a need.
0: We will undoubtedly talk about right shot defensemen at some length today. Uh, Anthony, what was your big takeaway from the win streak and then potentially how it ended? Although, um, from my perspective, you know, it's not as disastrous a loss as some people are pinning it as even though some of the individual performances within it were undoubtedly problematic.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to victory lap like seven games in February because it's February, whatever, right? Anything can happen in that time, but it was good to see a few things. One, I think a lot, a lot of players are able to bring things to the table that probably they don't get credit for. Finally, seeing Tyler Bertuzzi get a few lucky bounces, he was due, um, you know, for things to kind of even out players like Pontus Holmberg I think are starting to emerge I I I think he's really good I talk about him all the time I I'm a fan I just I think he brings something um so kind of just seeing all all those things come together and you know the stars were stars we talk about all the depth guys all the time but Matthews and Marner were unreal in those seven games and just as equally they were they did nothing against Vegas in the game that they lost and you know, people sit there and say, oh, like Bobby McMahon's coming down to earth. Like the Matthews-Marner line had two shots on net at five on five against Vegas in Toronto. I just, you're going to lose games. Like they didn't do anything. The Leafs make it 2-1 on Tyler Bertuzzi scoring and they come back out with this You know, they load up the top line to end the period and they not only do they not score, but they actively give up a goal and they coughed it up. And that was primarily and by primarily, I mean, almost entirely on John Tavares. So it wasn't Matthews and Marner directly. That said, you you know, you put them out, you're expecting to tilt the ice, you do the exact opposite, you give up a goal, they don't produce anything on the night, you're probably going to lose that game more often than not. I do think, though, it is worth flagging. I think the home struggles are real. You know, I, I know Sheldon Keefe mentioned a few weeks ago that those things can kind of turn on a dime. And to some extent, I, I agree. I just find that they don't play the same style of hockey at home as they do on the road. And it seems to be a little bit of a mental hurdle that they need to get over. And if you want to go back to the the game that they won in Vegas can com- and compare it to the game that they beat Vegas, which is, which is difficult. You know, the Leafs were humming. That was about as good of a first period as you'll see from the Leafs or pretty much any team in the league. The Leafs outplayed Vegas to start the game in in Toronto. You know, that first 10 minutes or so, the, the Leafs were once again buzzing. The thing I find at home is they just try to get super cute. They overpass a lot. I just found myself watching that game going, why did this guy pass that? Why did that guy pass that? Why don't they just shoot? They have clear lanes to the net. They're not taking them. They're looking for something prettier or, you know, potentially more enticing to get an empty net. And on the road, I just think they're a little bit more direct and they're a little bit more simple in their approach. And so they do need to figure that out. You know, other than Philly, every team in the in the East in a playoff spot right now has a better home record than them. So that's a problem. And I barely view Philly... Uh, Philly might in fact make the playoffs, but I barely I barely view them as a playoff team. They're like they're debating selling.
0: Yeah, I mean, Philly is not a peer for the Maple Leafs. I get what you're saying. I'm always a little bit cautious on some of those sort of split things. Like I remember last year when Samsonov had this incredible record at home and I'm like, I'm not sure that there's anything magic to that, but I I get what you're saying in terms of that performance in particular. I do want to jump into uh, the trade deadline stuff because that's what's on everyone's mind and I think that partially the biggest question that has kind of arisen in the last you know days weeks has been the idea of has this stretch fundamentally changed how the Maple Leafs should approach the deadline and do they need to think about rentals more do they need to be more aggressive what are the needs of this team you know Potentially, we know about a right shot defenseman who can play with Riley. Like That's been talked about ad nauseum. What are other things on our mind? So I want to give you a shot at it first, Alex. What has changed, if anything, about your opinion in terms of what the Maple Leafs should do at the deadline? And how do you conceptualize their needs right now?
1: I don't think uh, my perspective has changed all that much. I think maybe the win streak has made a stronger argument for buying. But that argument was probably already there. This is a win now team. Uh, the stars are in their prime, blah, blah, blah. So I don't think anything has has majorly changed. I think, again, the handedness on the defensive side has become a more clear picture. And I think that the way the defensive uh, pairings had kind of been scrambled, we got a better sense of what the clear need is. I think most people would say somebody to play with Morgan Riley. I think that was the thought before the win streak, but certainly seeing the Brody Lilligren pair and McCabe and Benoit, that stuff has made it even more clear that someone to play with Riley on the right side is the most logical need uh, at this point in time, but also some of the uh, forward line changes. I still think there's, there's room for a bottom six forward ad just because I'm a little skeptical of Ryan Reeves in the fourth line in a playoff series, that sort of thing. But for me, those are the two things I'm looking at at the moment. Yeah, and I'll um,
2: I'll, I'll add to, I mean, they always should have been buyers. I think they always were going to be buyers. The question is to what extent and how they sort of view things. So, again, I'll just mention, to me, Pontus Holmberg is tracking for a playoff lock. So, and two months ago, I don't think he could have said that and really so it's just a matter of how they they view the forward group i i like that they're trying to split them up across three lines i'm not sure this is the best way to go about it i think the Domi nylander as much as i like them offensively they're kind of rope-a-dope and they're a disaster defensively like anytime the puck basically crosses center it's terrifying watching them try to defend so you know do they eventually go back to putting Tavares with Nylander and Bertuzzi, my guess would be yes. And then what does that leave your your third line as? Some three of four of Domi, Robertson, McMahon, Yarncroft, potentially. Um, you know, so I think they are potential, you, you could argue adding a forward. I'm okay if they ultimately sit there and just say, we're going to give the young guys reps, like, you know, Robertson's going to be a playoff lock. Holmberg's going to be a playoff lock. I don't think I keep saying this. Like, I don't think that that's a recipe to like win the Stanley cup this year, but if that's the way that they're going to go, I also don't mind that in the sense of give them reps. They're players that, you know, other than McMahon, who's a UFA, they're players that should be here moving forward. I don't mind it. So that forward question, I I think is viable. And also their penalty kills terrible. So adding not only a quality NHL forward, but someone who could kill penalties would be the add up there. And then the defense obviously stand like it. I'm glad that people have, have watched TJ Brody move to the left and suddenly become much better at hockey because handedness I think has been, you know, Nick, it's like almost like baseball. It was like where it went too far with like lefty righty matchups, you know, and and how people viewed it at times. I, I think handedness is more important in hockey than hand like righty lefty matchups are in baseball. But, you know, like it almost hit a point where it was like, all right, like, now, like, you're actively making things more difficult on yourself. Like, you're right, like, it doesn't always matter. But you are making things more difficult when you have guys play their offside, especially on defense, especially in tighter games. Even when we look at the at the Vegas game, the amount of plays and possessions that died up the right wall in the offensive zone was ridiculous. Like just constantly neutering possession because, you know, guys were making all they could all they could do is take the shovel out on their backhand and put it up the wall. So they obviously need a right-handed defenseman. It's just Which way do they go about it? And to me, there's only three options.
0: Yeah, I think one of the biggest positives for the Leafs from the recent stretch has been how much, as you mentioned, it's shown Brody has way more to give on his left side. And Riley and Brody just aren't a viable pair sucking up that many minutes anymore. And I'll be honest, when I saw Brody for a lot of the time this year, I felt like he was in decline because he looked worse on that side than he has in the past. I'm not saying he's not. There's a lower degree of difficulty to what he's doing on the left. So maybe that's kind of cushioning his decline to some extent. But it really, it just makes it 100% clear. Like they got to get a right shot. They've got to get someone who plays with Riley. And that's what we're going to hear a lot about during this run up to the deadline because that's the most obvious thing. And so we can run through the names of the people we're going to hear about. And a guy atop that list is Chris Tanev, because it just seems like such a simple proposition. It's like, if you pony up the first round pick, you can get Tanev. And you know that Tanev is a guy who can give you those minutes, who can kill penalties. He's third in the NHL in block shots for 60 minutes at 9.23. You know, obviously that makes him a bit of an injury risk, which he has been for much of his career. But where do you guys sit in terms of the idea of paying – the premium price for this guy deep into his 30s who's a rental, but on the flip side of that, you feel confident that he's a good fit who would who would improve the defense score pretty significantly if you got him today.
1: Yeah, I like Tanev. I like the concept of Tanev. I would like him a lot more if he was 29 or 30 or 31. Fair. But that's that's the the concern I have as a general thing, as we get going in this conversation, I'm less interested in rentals just because it feels like the Leafs have burned a lot of assets in recent years on players who did not stay. And that has made some of their moves less efficient than Tampa Bay, for example, who have been able to retain guys like McDonough and Coleman for multiple playoffs. So I would look for a guy that can be around. So with Tanev, if he came with the high likelihood of an extension, and obviously people believe that may be the case, given his local ties and all that stuff, then I would definitely have some time for it. I just worry about age, and we've seen to some degree the risks of that with Jake Muzzin, with TJ Brody, some of its natural age decline, some of its injury risk. Um, but in terms of his actual play, it seems like a pretty good fit. This is the kind of guy that in theory would fit very well with Morgan Riley but it's just weighing that cost versus the age and and all those different factors and i'm just kind of in the middle on that
2: yeah and i think i think because of the cost some of the conversation has probably gone a little bit you know like at first it was like great idea and then people heard the costs and then you know they're trying to poke holes in the player but I, by and large if you look at the market he is hands down easiest fit into the lineup like it's really not up for debate he is a top top of the league penalty killer their penalty kill sucks he is right-handed they have one right-handed defenseman apparently they lose him and their game falls apart in transition and offensively he can match up not just capably but actively well against the other team's best players you could play him. With Riley and a bit of a yin-yang pairing, you could potentially consider playing him with a guy like Jake McCabe or TJ Brody and just saying you're going to take D-zone starts and you're just going to be a shutdown pairing. Like he checks every box except for the age component. And so the only way to me, you know, they don't have the second round pick. It's something written about a number of times. Like the argument we're hearing from Calgary is the price is a second, you don't have one, Ergo, it's a first. I don't believe that at all. If that's true. If Tanev just cost a second, he would have been traded by now. You know, half the league is interested in him with good reason. Even teams that like suck, such as Ottawa, are interested in him because he's he's legit. So a team like Dallas, who's rumored, they have a second, they have an aging core, they have some young players coming up that are exciting. If it cost them a second, I think it would already been done. I think that's posturing by Calgary. Fair enough. They got to play the negotiation game where it gets difficult to me is if you're trading a first, even if he does extend to your point, how good is he moving forward? I think is, is a big part of that debate. You know, even if he, again, is acquired plays well, they retain him on some sort of even friendly deal not Mark Giordano level friendly, but something that's friendly-ish. How good does he have to be for probably the next two years to justify that cost given their overall prospect cap, you know, prospect salary cap, draft pick capital situation? He'd have to be legit. So I think that's probably the biggest thing to weigh it towards where I would, I'll let Nick add from there. I'd have some things of that in terms of like how I would view it further.
0: I used to be hard out on it. I was like, this team isn't good enough to justify opening up a cupboard that's already been picked over, to be honest, for a player who's this type of rental. And people talk about that extension you could potentially get and it being a friendly extension. like, for one, that's, you know, he's entering his, like, age 35 season into that extension. It's and friendly two,
2: because he's old. Like, yeah, that's and, why. Like, he's and, it's not he's not doing them a favor. It's friendly because yeah, he's old. Yeah, if
0: he was 28, he'd get the big money. And, and to be honest, if that's what's so appealing to people, well, you can go get that potentially in the offseason. Like, it may well be that he wants to come home, wants to come to Toronto, and then that's something they can entertain for the seasons to come. Because the team, especially the way the forwards, to be honest, have developed and have done better over the last few weeks, it's given me more faith in the team that it's worth investing in. But I don't think I'm quite there with Tanev, and we're gonna talk about some other guys as well. But like if it if you're putting a gun to my head and saying, Are you trading the first for Tanev right now? I think I'm out, but I'm like I don't know if it had been done a month ago. I think I would have been, would have wanted to torch that and be like, "That's stupid. It doesn't. It's not justified. It doesn't make sense." Now, if it happened, I feel like I I'm quasi open minded to it, but I, I still don't think that's a decision I would make myself.
2: So there are ways I could start trending to that area a little bit more. So I I think that's also. Worthy of discussion because we always look at it, or I think everyone always looks at it as Tanev first-round pick. But to me, I'd I'd probably try to go back to Calgary and say, if my first-round pick is on the table, and we're just talking hypothetically because it's half the point of this podcast. Now say, okay, my first-round pick is on the table for Chris Tanev, but you also have to shoot me back a pick, and obviously it's going to be lower. But now if a fourth would be dicey, but if you could get Calgary to a third. Is that at least starting to get in the area of palatable?
0: It's it's more interesting. I think I'd almost be try and get some kind of prospect that I was interested in in their And like, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert on Calgary system, but I'd be almost more interested in try and pry away some kind of player that I think is undervalued or something like that than go for a third round pick, which. I guess probably that would be a enemy.
2: non-starter for me though. I'd be like, I'm not giving you a prospect. Yeah,
0: but sometimes, well, not a, not someone at the top of their system, obviously, but sometimes you can find guys deeper. I don't know. Like, I just I'm not 100 percent sure what a third round pick does for least. It does, it does open some more doors at the deadline. So you could conceptualize it's like, let's say you give a first for Tanov and a third, then you swing a third to somebody else for that bottom six forward you're looking at, and that could be something interesting.
2: Well, you got to look at it a couple of ways. So, you know, a third round pick, I think on average is like 12% chance of making the league. And I believe in a first round pick is like 63%. So you're hedging like a 40% difference, but you're also getting like a legitimate top four defenseman.
0: You'd you like should... to think it's a lower pick though. Like the where yeah. the least pick comes so, in would probably be lower than the average first round pick.
2: Yeah. Sure. So you're getting like you're trading away a late first, you're getting an earlier third. You're getting a quality defenseman right this very second. And he is a quality NHL defenseman. Like I know we're talking about like, him being old moving forward. I'm not sure what he's gonna be moving forward. I'd like to think he'll be respectable next season. I'm really not sure about the season after that that's where it gets particularly dicey for me. I would imagine you would get a solid season out of Chris Tanev in some capacity. Like some players are built to age and I know people look at his game and say like it's not because of the wear and tear, but I think he is built to age in the sense that one, he hasn't missed a ton of hockey lately. Like he missed 17 games last year, the year before he played all 82, the year before he played the full season. He's played every game this season. I think that's slightly overblown. And usually when I look at guys that don't age well, It's guys like Phil Kessel who have really bad habits, but they're super talented and they get by. Whoa, a guy
0: won a cup, man. Yeah, he he didn't play.
2: He didn't play and nobody's signing him. So, like, those guys don't age well to me because they rely on talent, whereas Chris Tanev relies on detail.
0: I also look at size. Like, guys don't shrink you know what yeah. I mean like if you have size you have strength Six to you have every strength. shift yeah exactly yeah. you have smarts like that will continue to carry you forward uh, in a way that I really worry about younger uh, not younger smaller players getting old I worry about younger players getting older too but like that's a lot that's a long-term problem
2: but that's why I start to trend in that way but I don't know if Calgary be willing to do that I'd also make them take back Connor Timmons money at that rate like if you're you know and you'd have to sign Tana. so like a lot of variables I'd be like I want to pick back you need to take back Connor Timmons money Because he's under contract for next year and Tanev would have to sign. Ergo, the Leafs would now have two right handed defensemen already. Like Timothy Lilgren's an RFA, but you still, by and large, control his fate at that rate. So now you have two out of three right handed spots, like competently locked in for next year. Like I could start to get there. I just, if it's like a first straight up for Tanev, that would obviously be a a lot more difficult like it would put a lot more pressure on them having to be good this year like they'd have to go they'd have to be a final four team but if they are final four team and you're going to whine about a first round pick like where have you been for the past 30 years
1: logically speaking though isn't it fairly likely that if you're asking calgary to do all that you're probably not going to get the deal done given the interest in tana i mean you're bidding against Dallas you're bidding against Edmonton you're bidding against a bunch of teams and if you're asking them to give you a pick and give you know take Connor Timmins, I just don't know if that's going to get it done given the seemingly yeah. wide interest
2: for Tana nobody wants to do a first right now that's what they don't but so if nobody could... else gets there and the Leafs do yeah, like, yeah GM, that is fair GMs are obsessed with this idea of getting a first round pick like there's just like some level of credibility to it from like a PR level, oh for really, sure.
0: People are like, oh, you got yeah. something real for you, them.
2: You got a first <laughs> round pick. Like it's it's legit. So you're right. Like if if those teams start tossing a first round pick, but those teams would also require money. That is true. Edmonton right? definitely. So you know the leaf saying Timmins, who I don't think is in, like ent- I think he's a lost cause health wise. I don't think he's a lost cause talent wise and for a team like Calgary who's trying to remain competitive they could do worse than adding a guy who's shown some level of value who is still young enough and right-handed and and skilled in like all these things to their overall mix for not the worst like it's not the worst contract of all time
0: no i think Timmins is actually an asset for a team in yeah. their position like you could yeah. argue there's sort of like an 85% chance that Timmins doesn't quote unquote work out but in the in the realm of that 15% chance, which is what we're talking about with draft picks anyway, right? Like Timmons yeah. is a shot in the dark in a way that a draft pick would be. Um, I do yeah, I'm not to- viewing
2: it as a net negative or a cap dump. I'm or I'm sorry, I am viewing it as a cap dump, but I'm not viewing it as a net negative to take them on. I'm saying like, you got to take back some money to make this more palatable, but you're also getting something that's at least somewhat intriguing.
0: The next guy I got on the list here, who it seems like this name has come up a lot more recently Um, I think kind of based on where the Kraken are at, which is Adam Larson. Again, a guy who fits the profile, defensive defenseman, big right shot, has eaten a lot of minutes, has played this type of role before. He's under contract for another year beyond this year at a fairly reasonable rate. You probably argue that you feel better about Tanev in a lot of ways than Larson. People have thought Larson's overrated at times, but also well, that's been kind of unfair to him. It's not his fault, the trades that he was involved in. Uh, where do you guys sit on Larson as a potential fit and someone you'd want to put big resources against?
1: I like Larson a lot. I just don't know if he's going to be for sale. The, there hasn't been a lot of indication that the Kraken are doing – a large scale sale. And I think they like Larson quite a bit. He plays a notable role on their team, but from the size standpoint, from perspective that he played some playoff games in Edmonton, he played playoff games last year in Seattle. This is a guy that seemingly would, would fit pretty well in what the Leafs are looking for. So if he's made available with the term uh, considered and he's not super rolled, he's not super young, but he's not super rolled either. I think that one makes a lot of sense. And I would be more interested, I think, in potentially giving up more premium assets for that sort of player, uh,
2: if he were made available, yeah. And I, I, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I love Larson. It's I get asked by him all the time, seemingly, because I don't bring him up because I just don't think he's going to get moved. But he's big. He's actually pretty good with the puck. He had 33. He had 33 points last year, and he doesn't play on the power play like that. That is legitimately good. We kind of talk, I talk about this all the time with Jake McCabe. Right. Like, you know, and he made a nice play yesterday. I, I know Bertuzzi scored a goal off a of bounce, but the way that he held it and then found a lane and and got it on Bertuzzi's tape, you know, you're looking at other guys on the Leafs defense, and I won't name them, but it's basically all of them other than Morgan Riley, is like they probably just shoot it into a shin pad or dump it in the corner. So all I'd say is I think Larson provides some element of offense. He's good defensively. You mentioned he has a playoff track record. He's huge. He signed under contract next year for what I would consider below market value. Like, I think if he was a UFA, he would make more money than he's currently making. So yeah, all that to say is, I think he'd be a great addition. I just don't see it happening because I don't see Seattle moving. Them. Some of these Seattle players are super, super handy. Like you would love to insert them into a contender, but they're under contract and Seattle's in the thick of the playoff race. Like I think a healthy Seattle team, the rest of the way actually has a really good chance of making the playoffs. I just, so I don't, I don't see a bunch of these Seattle players available save for Jordan Eberly, if they can't sign him. But I also think that they sign Eberly.
0: Yeah. I I think that the Kraken are the sort of franchise that in theory, like purely from an intellectual standpoint, you could say how good are the Kraken going to be this year or next year? what they've built doesn't seem very high ceiling. Like it's possible that they can kind of scrape into the playoffs and maybe they should consider moving some of these guys because you know, what good is Adam Larson to help you be mediocre? Maybe you can, you can get some really big assets potentially and give yourself a chance at launching something that has a, you know, might be a little lower ebb in the short term and better in the long term. You know, I like you know Will Borgan on their team, like uh, not yeah. as experienced as Larson, but cheaper, big right hand shot, kills penalties. Like he's the sort of guy that would go well with Riley, two point seven million and into next year. Like, at the, so from a, when you zoom out, you're like the Kraken should think about doing that, but they're also an expansion franchise that is trying to continue to build interest and keep their team rolling and keep the momentum going for that fan base, and so what a team should theoretically do and what that individual franchise would realistically do might be two different things. And, you know, that's kind of unfortunate for teams like the Leafs that could find some value in their players. But I think both of you guys are right in that we're going to hear Larson's name a lot because it makes sense to those who might want to acquire him, but it doesn't necessarily mean he's someone that is going to get shipped. The name that also comes up a lot in Leafsland is Ilya Labushkin, which is just because we've got the proof of concept, right? Like if he was a player, I mean, you know, again, he's big, he's strong, he blocks shots. So he might've come up anyway, but he comes up in part because we've been here before. We've brought Lubushkin to the Maple Leafs and we've seen maybe that not work at elite level, but that worked to some degree. The acquiring cost couldn't possibly be super high for this guy. Where do you guys sit on the idea of a reunion there?
1: Not high, in my opinion. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. He played with Riley in that 22 series. It gets brought up as sort of uh, what well, we've seen him play with Riley. I I didn't come away from that experience terribly high on Ilya Lubushkin. He does some things well. He blocks shots. He throws some nice hits. But his play on the puck is so concerning. And I just have a memory of that series where... They got easier matchups, him and Riley did, because Mazin and Brody ate a lot of tough minutes. Even Giordano Hall played some harder assignments, and Riley Labushkin was still such a up-and-down roller coaster. Like Labushkin's ability to get the puck out of the zone, to pass it out, was definitely not what I really desire. If you're going to go with a cheap guy, I-, I guess it could work. I'm not giving up anything of value, really, and I think the goal of the deadline should be to shoot for someone much higher than Ily Labushkin. I mean, since he left the Leafs, he played for Buffalo and now he's in Arizona, right? I mean, that to me kind of says a lot. He's in Anaheim, you know? Anaheim. or Anaheim. Sorry. I yeah. mean,
0: honestly, same, same,
1: idea. same difference.
2: <laughs> yeah. So a few things with the, to me, he's the ultimate, like you missed out on everybody else and you get him for very minimal. And at least he's a right-handed defenseman that can, chip in some level of penalty killing. So, I guess yeah, in terms of being a partner for Riley, I don't really think that's a a really locked in solution. They got even even when Lubushkin came to Toronto, he put up the best numbers of his of his career um in terms of like possession, expected goals and like the the 20 games that he played, but they still got outscored in his minutes not they, by one so it wasn't much and then they got outscored in the playoffs and the numbers kind of cratered possession wise all that to say is that was basically the first time he's ever played on a real hockey team like arizona was a dump buffalo it's terrible and i actually went to the game the 9-2 game uh that the leafs beat anaheim and i went into it and like a tool, I was I was there with my fiance. I was like, I'm really gonna dial in on Adam Honriq and Eli Lobushka <laughs> in this game just to see what it's like. And th- I mean, that wasn't a real hockey game. Like, how can you I, I kind of said something similar in the summer when they acquired when they signed Simon Benoit, and there was like all this chatter out with like a chart would get popped up and people would say, like, this might be the worst player in the league, and da 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 And I was like, Anaheim is awful. Like, there are no words to explain how bad the ducks are. They have no idea what the neutral zone is. They have no idea what having a third guy high is. They have no idea what structure is. They play with none of it. And so the worst players, the like the, the players that look the worst in those situations are defensive defensemen. And so you look at Simon Benoit and everyone's like stunned that, you know, this emergence and like part of it is just that he's playing on a real hockey team, you know, like, takes a pass and he looks up the ice and like his winger's there and he gets it to the winger and the winger makes a real play and they move up the ice competently like a real hockey team does. And Anaheim doesn't play like that at all. And so all that says, Ilya Bushkin's also 29. Like it's not like he, like Benoit is young and was coming into the league and that's probably the worst possible kind of team other than the fact that he got a bunch of minutes and got a bunch of experience. But in terms of like actually performing well, that's probably the worst possible team for him. To kind of break in with, Labushkin to me is is like you could get him. I think he could competently be semi respectable, but to your point, he's not going to push them over the edge. If they miss out on like everything else, and they add him as as just like a some level of hedge for, you know, it would have to be a fourth or a fifth round pick. Anaheim acquired him for a fourth. I don't think Labushkin's done anything to suggest that he should be going out for more than they paid for him so yeah i mean he's a right-hand defenseman that's if he was a lefty mm-hmm. we wouldn't be talking about him
0: 100 percent I, I think you hit the nail on the head he's like uh he's a musical chairs guy it's like you're you're diving for that last chair so you're not totally left out in the cold like if in a vacuum i would rather have him on the roster than not have him i think if you played him with riley you would do the thing where you have Lilligren play with Riley in offensive zone faceoffs a lot and try and kind of shelter his minutes away from, just keep him away from the puck. Uh, it's not an ideal situation. I do think that something has to happen. This would qualify as something, but this is the lowest level of something that ticks that something box to use the word something like 18 times in a sentence.
2: I will say there are some teams where I would be ha- happier to have him playing against than others like a Florida, like I think he would be involved physically. I, I do think you need a certain requirement of size and physicality. And I'm not saying he'd be good against Florida. I'm just saying I'd like to have some pushback against Florida and not get completely run over and physically embarrassed. And he at least somewhat provides that. So I don't want to entirely dump on the guy. Cause I do think he brings the physical element and that, does fit some of the you know guys that we're seeing that they've brought in that are you know starting to make contributions. So, and then there's other teams where they would play. And I I you know like if they were to play Carolina, I'd be like uh, that that would probably go poorly.
0: Before we leave the realm of right shot defensemen, uh, I just wanted to ask if there's anyone that you guys wanted to flag as targets that you see as appealing for this Maple Leafs teams maybe guys that haven't been discussed as much in the media or something, someone that comes up a lot, but you particularly like,
1: well, do we want to talk about Sean Walker first? I mean, is there anything anyone wants to say yeah. about that one, but he is another high profile, right? Shot guy that I feel like
2: we should at least mention. I, I'm i not a fan, but if you want to talk about him, cause you I like don't him. have any,
1: I don't have major, I, I don't love Sean Walker. I just didn't know what your guys' takes on him was. My,
2: my thoughts on Sean Walker that he, Played on a good team last year and was healthy scratched in the playoffs, and then went to a bad team with no expectations and got some ice time and looked pretty good. And now there's talk of him wanting like four and a half. Actually, I think Philly, the talk was Philly, I think was around four and a half, four million. And he might be up higher at like five and a half million, which I think is ridiculous. He's 29, he's small. Like, I, I think that there's, you know, that's a lot of money for a guy that doesn't have a lot of experience performing act- actually well. And he's a little bit on the older side for, you know, for you to think that he's suddenly emerged as this like legitimate top four defenseman. That was another game. I, I went to the Leafs Flyers game. and He was another player I focused on where I was like, and that game was at least somewhat of a game. Even though you know, the Leafs kind of went up and then, whatever but i was watching walker going i just i don't see it like i don't know why what would be the fit there and for what money i would rather just keep like he to me is not for that much money he'd have to be a legitimate top four defenseman i'm not really sure about Lilgren riley pairing together permanently and i don't really think walker can pair with morgan riley and ergo it's yeah it's just not for me
0: Yeah, I'm on a similar wavelength with that. I I feel like it's a dangerous buy high potential scenario. I'm not sure what he gives you that Lilligren doesn't really give you, like as kind of that middle six right side guy. I don't necessarily see him with Riley. And you know, it sometimes it does seem silly to be like, oh, we it has to be a big guy, it has to be a physical guy. Like sometimes it doesn't necessarily matter the how, but the what and whether it'll be effective. At the same time, all things being equal. I'm looking for a a bigger, more physical guy than Sean Walker is.
2: Yeah, the other guy who is also small, but also right-handed and also available that I actually do like is Alex Carrier. And I want to level set why, in part, why I like my... Like, I've discussed him a bunch. I think people know that I like him at this point. The main reasons I like him is, one, I don't think he's going to cost a lot. So I think there's value in that. You're not... Like it's not going to take you a first round pick to get Alex Carrier. Two, I don't think it would take a lot to re-sign him. Right. Even even if he's even if he went up to three and a half somehow, which I don't think is likely. I think he's probably somewhere between that three, three point two five range of player, which is a slight raise for him, probably a little bit of a premium because he's a right-handed defenseman. He currently makes two and a half million. So some slight level of raise. That number to me is not prohibitive to being like carry the third pair with Simon Benoit, but also you have potential to go into the top four and take good, if not credible shifts. He has experience on the penalty kill. He has experience in the playoffs. I do think he has some bite. He's legitimately skilled with the puck. That was his calling card originally and and he came into the NHL and had a legitimately productive rookie season hasn't gone as productive for him since but even still he has 4 goals and 17 points this year like that's not nothing from the back end and it's not nothing for a team that really just doesn't get too much production from their defense outside of Morgan Riley and at this point Jake McCabe Right. Like, I think the four goals would be third on the Leafs defense right now. So, you know, he's a contributor again, right handed. I don't think will cost a lot. I think has potential to be a little bit better than he still is because he's 27. So, there's a number of reasons I like him. He's only played like his next game will be his 200th. So, he's, you know, approaching that area where it's like, this is what you are, but there's still a little bit of room for improvement. So, you know, for reference, like Timothy Logren also has not hit 200 games. And so I, I, I like it in, in terms of, Hey, if we're not going to get 10 cause we don't want to spend that much, but we want to improve our team. This is, it's not the big name that, that Alex mentioned or like that big needle moving guy, but it's also just a defense that lacks quality. Like they just overall lack quality. Like they, like they legitimately lack NHL defensemen. Like I I think Mark Giordano's Really struggled this year. William Lagesson should not be a regular as much. I do like him, but as a seventh, like Carrier is a legitimate top six NHL defenseman with some level of quality. Right-handed, like they just they lack that.
1: I'm a big fan of Carrier. I like that idea quite a bit, especially the ability to re-sign him to make him a piece that you can lean on going forward. I think that should be the goal of this uh, deadline. A couple other names that I flagged. Uh, the Capitals have four right-shot defensemen between Carlson, Bear, Van Riemsdyk, and Jensen. Uh, so I don't know if one of those four would be available. Obviously not Carlson, but the other three. Um, and the Caps are kind of out of it. I mean, they're still sort of in the hunt, but not a great chance that they'll be in the playoffs. So they do seem like sellers. I don't know, but Van Riemsdyk uh, had a good season last year. has been decent for them. Nick Jensen, I think, has been a more underrated player for the Caps. He's now getting on the older side, but he has some term. So those are two guys I'd kick the tires on just to see if, if there's a possibility, uh, given that they're in the right shot category. And then my other Ilya Labushkin caliber name, or even a notch below that, is Andrew Peak in Columbus, a bigger guy, a right shot on the younger side. He's not been used a ton recently, but was vaguely interesting years before that's another if you miss out on everything else name and want to get someone for nothing type of name but those are just a few i'd add to the list
2: i like that term vaguely interesting
0: but yeah that <laughs> seems about right to do <laughs> a quick summary of those guys for me, i like uh carrier as a player as a fit on the leafs like i said just a little bit more preference for a bigger stronger type of guy like I it's tough. I can envision, uh, you know, like you said, a third pair with him and Benoit. But then a lot of other pieces are moving around. It's in- he's got a weird resume where, like, a lot of stuff on his resume. If you didn't know his size, you would think, oh, this guy is like a bigger. Like he he does penalty killing way more than he's done the power play in his career. Like he gets buried in his defensive zone by coaches. Like he is someone who's trusted as a defensive player. Spicy. So maybe, you know, my biases are just creeping in a little bit too much, but he, that does scare me a little bit. Cause I feel like for another team, he does bring a lot of quality for the Leafs. It's just tricky for me to see. Yeah. Those other guys, I mean, the Capitals are, again, they're a little bit of a weird franchise because they can't, uh, sell as much as maybe they should based on where they're at. But yeah, I mean, you, I could envision those scenarios as well. It's interesting that those names haven't been as much in circulation, but I, I feel like Tanev has really like I don't know blotted out the sun or something like he sucked up 80% of the discussion on that um, I, I, also, like to, I also I also don't want
2: to get like too I don't really want to get into it but I will flag like if they have an opportunity to I know they're not right handed but I just think it's important to note like if they if Hannah if Hannah would sign here I would still just do it I know the fit this year might be awkward but again just this is a team that lacks quality defenseman he's a high quality defenseman I think if you have a chance to acquire him, you do it. You ask questions later and it just kind of, you figure it out. But just getting him into the fold and extended, I would do it. Jacob Chikrin, same thing. I would do it, ask questions later. He signed for another year on a really cheap contract, which balances out the final year of Tavares' contract to me. And then you can kind of sort out the books from there moving forward. I don't want to get a ton into the players. I've already written about them. If you really want to go look it up. But just again, needle those are actual needle moving defensemen of quality that would change the complexion of the team because they just lack quality defensemen.
0: Yeah, and I think the the issue on those guys is just about are you gonna outbid other teams on them and yeah. does Hanen want to like there's a lot of that goes yeah. into that. but if there ends up being an avenue um, that's interesting. I do want to go on to forward targets a little bit here. My first thought is that like all the discussion has been about adding someone to the bottom six, which I agree with because I don't know if you flip, you know, Riley and Yarn Croak and not Riley, sorry, Reeves and Yarn Croak right now and call that your playoff lineup, you know, you're one injury away from you know Ryan Reeves or Noah Gregor, which is not where I think you want to be. Like there's a good chance there's going to be an injury between now and the playoffs or during the playoffs. I do think one more layer of depth would be helpful, but what I'm wondering that no one has really talked about. Is there some kind of contrarian case to shoot higher in the market and bring someone else in, in the Henrik or Gensel? Like, Gensel's, again, going to be very tough, but, like, is there any intellectual argument for that? Or are we strictly talking about let's build a layer of depth here?
2: So if we talk layer of depth, I mean, you can build depth by adding at the top and then bumping guys down. Like We've talked about Matthew Nye's quite a bit, and I like him again. I like his trajectory as an overall NHL player. I do think he's young and kind of shows. He, I think that comes out quite often. Like I, I even look back last week when Matthews was at 49 and they head into Arizona and he had a quote before the game about how he was just going to force feed Matthews pucks. And I was kind of, you know, I know people have fun with like the goal totals and the records and stuff like that. And, and, maybe I just view it different. Like, I only care about winning. And I also don't, like, I. it's nice that Matthews scores all these goals. And I don't think Matthews is scoring them because he's trying to, like, launch, like, gaudy totals. I think he does it because, like, they have to win. But also, I definitely know that Matthews doesn't need Matthew Nyes, of all people, force-feeding him pucks to score goals in the NHL. Like, I think Matthews is capably proven that he can score on his own. So, and then he played terrible. Like, he was really bad in that Arizona game. And then we go to the Vegas game and the Leafs have a lead the four nothing. And they come out, they start the second period. And Matthew and just a brutal stretch pass from his own zone. And Vegas goes right down and scores. And, you know, the game, the game, like the Leafs took, ended up taking care of business. But those are the kinds of things where I look at and, and say, like, are you really ready for prime time? The way, you know, you're kind of careless with the pocket times. You're talking about greasing up guys, goal totals, and then underperforming. And I kind of look at some of those concepts and go I, like, you're probably not realistically ready for like that line one all the time. You have to be on, you can't be careless with pucks. You can't give teams an inch at any point ever. So the idea of like getting someone that bumps him down to the third line and all of a sudden you might have a third line. with let's call it nice Tavares and Yarncroft potentially. That's a really good third line, whereas right now it's McMahon, Tavares, Robertson, and that's cool. not a really good third line. No so McMahon
0: slander. Come you've,
2: on, you've you've completely changed the comply I'd still have McMahon in the mix, one hundred percent. But I'm saying, like, you've now you've given yeah. yourselves like real options where you're not looking at Tavares and saying like, play with a, you know, no offense, to McMahon, like a twenty seven year old journeyman who's like showing something for the first time in his life, and a player who's having like, you know, Robertson and Nyes are both in their first like full season in the league, but I would say Nyes is further along as, as a player just because he's so much more physically developed than Robertson that it's, you know, like it's a much more easier thing to do say like, that's your line. So yeah, I think you could add a player of quality that bumps nice down and also the top line won't miss a beat.
1: Yeah, I think, also, if you were able to get the defenseman add on a cheaper deal than or you know, cheaper acquisition cost than you have assets left over, then in that situation, I think there's definitely a case to spend what you got left over to to bump players from the top of the lineup down and, and fit all those things in. I generally defer to the idea of adding down in the lineup just because I think I'd rather spend the big assets on defensemen. But if you don't find a fit and we just went through the defensive targets and uh, there weren't a ton of names we were totally sold on. So if you don't uh, spend your first rounder on a defenseman and you still got that left over, then, yeah, I think you could make the case to use it and try to really beef up the the top six. And then everything falls into place after that. Now, is
2: there anyone you like? There is one guy I actually think is legit. That's that's can be had I guess we'll call it I mean everyone can be had but like I think he can openly be had go for it it's it's some people aren't going to like because he's not going to be the stylistic player that they want it to be but I think he's actually a lot better than he gets credit for is Frank Vitrano, who yes he was Anaheim's all-star this year that yes that means absolutely nothing he you know blacked out at the beginning of the year with a bit of a goal streak but I look back but he was on the map to me to be on it like he was, I mean, he was in the Leafs division. So we saw him a decent amount. And he actually did have some games against the Leafs when he was on Florida. Like he had a 24 goal season on Florida and an 18 goal season um, when he was traded. So, um, like, or sorry, the season before he was not there. So we've seen him before. And then he went to the Rangers. And I, he was always kind of a guy where I thought he was kind of pushing up his totals just playing on a bad team. And then. He was really good for them in the playoffs when they went to the conference finals. Like he had an excellent playoff run. He had 13 points in 20 games. I thought he was a legitimate difference maker. He showed a little bit more fight and spirit to him than honestly I thought he had. I thought he had capable in him. He is a legitimate sniper. Like if he has some space, he is scoring. And I think he, I think he will. I just affectionately call it like grease it up. Like I think he will grease it up in the corners a lot more than people think. I think he could easily, easily slide in beside Matthews and, and Marner a little bit more capably, a little bit more of an experienced veteran, a little bit more of like has some like playoff chops kind of thing. And so you add that all together. And then like the, again, the domino effect of pushing knives down the lineup, I think it becomes a lot easier to have Tavares on that third line and say, you're gonna like you and Nye's like your best friends the rest of the way here, uh. So to me, I just you know he signed for another year. Three point six five is not a lot of money. That you know, there's a lot I like about him. He's twenty nine. I don't know what the cost will be though.
0: Yeah, cost should be high. He worries me a little bit as a guy who's been pretty power play reliant when you don't know if you're going to get him that minutes. We've already those minutes. We've already saw that with Bertuzzi to an extent, how getting Bertuzzi back on into the power play in a major way has helped sure. drive him across the board. But uh, yeah, I, I can see it. Yeah, if you end up with the Labushkin solution or something, I mean, you can get both of them, right? You could do some kind of package deal. Um, so it actually is, costs less because you add in Labushkin. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, t- Connor Timmons, but going back the other way, uh, <laughs> <laughs> universal trade piece. Yeah, I, I could see. I think that at the end of the day, as Alex points out, it it's just the hole on defense is so much more profound than the hole up front. Like It does yeah. feel like a bit of a luxury, and there's a, a world in which it happens because a, a bunch of these guys come off the board, and maybe Trey Living says the team is really good. My defense targets have come off the board, but I don't think it's right to stand by and do nothing when these guys deserve a boost and we believe in this team and we think they can do something. So th- there's a world where that happens. Um, I'm not sure it's the most likely scenario by any means, but it is worth contemplating because, again, you never know when you know Tanev comes off the board, the crack, and say they're not interested in trading any of their guys. You're looking around. Suddenly you don't think there's a defenseman who is a real needle mover for you and you think, I still want to upgrade this team, that's potentially one way to do it. Anthe, I know that you were interested in at least going over the possibility of something happening in net, because it's a bit of a fluid, confusing situation with the Maple Leafs right now with Wool on his way back. Samsonov has been good recently, not unbelievable by any stretch of the imagination, um weirdly some talk about Matt Murray stopping pucks. Don't don't see that being a factor, but you never know. Stranger things have happened. Let
2: let uh, us pray. Let us pray.
0: <laughs> he's won some cups. Uh so what when you think about what could happen from a gold handing perspective, what are you thinking about?
2: So I think, yeah, I think there's potential, potential, I'll call it, to just get back some level of pick. And I still view picks as you know, I mean, everyone does their lottery tickets. So if you can add a lottery ticket and, you know, they have scouts all over. The Leafs have a, a deep, you know, they have a deep staff and they've had very few picks over the past few years to work with. So I think just getting them anything extra when you can is worthwhile. I also think everyone hates three goalies, in particular the goalies. Like three goalies is brutal to manage. It's brutal when you are one of the three, no matter even if you're the starter or you're the third guy, like all three of them hate it. The team finds a little bit weird. Practices are a little bit weird with three goalies on the ice. The whole thing is just, it's not great, right? So all that to say, Joseph Wall comes back healthy. Elias Samsonov has at least somewhat smoothed out his game, at least to a point where you wouldn't absolutely dread him going in net. So do you need Martin Jones at that point? And I think that's a fair question. The The thing that you would argue against it is, and I'm very curious to see how this plays out, is I actually thought there was a little bit of... Um, I want to describe this in the right way. But I, I think Wool coming in and playing well had a negative impact on Samsonov. And I don't think it was a complete coincidence that Wool got hurt and then... Essentially, when Samsonoff had the net and it was basically just his, he started playing better. I do think there's something there with him and owning the net and not owning the net. So I'm not entirely sure how he would respond to and I don't mean like verbally and I don't mean with like within the room, but I mean, just with his play, I don't know how he'll respond over the next month should Wool come back and be informed and look really good as he did prior to. So I'm not sure how what effect that has on his game. And if it goes south again, I hope not. But I think that's possible. And I think it's also possible Wool gets hurt or Sam Snoff gets hurt. I mean, that's always possible for anybody. Wool has been injury-prone his basically his entire professional career at this point. Sam Snoff got hurt last year in the playoffs, which caused Wool to go in in the first place. If that were to happen and you trade Martin Jones your backup is Dennis Hildeby. And I know people are fond of him because he's been pretty good in the AHL. I think it's been interesting. If you listen to Sheldon Keefe's quotes on him, especially when they first called him up, it sounded like the Leafs were blowing pucks by him in practice. And it made him really hesitant to put him in, in an NHL game, which is fair. And so, you know, you could also argue if you're at the Martin Jones point, you're probably toast anyway. So you might as well just get a pick. The thing I'll say is he is a legitimate somewhat legitimate NHL goalie with like actual playoff experience. Like I think he could come in and give them like two games. I don't think he can come in and give them like a series, but I think he could come in and like hold the fort and like not be pathetic. So
0: somewhat an important word.
2: Yeah. Right. So like, what is the price for that where you're like, yeah, like I don't care. Like this is just like reasonable. Like, is it a fourth round pick? I find it hard to see like, or believe any team would go higher than a fourth round pick. This was a guy on waivers you know, not, you know, to start the season, no one took him. He has had a pretty good year this year to the point where someone might say, yeah, let's, let's get a fourth for a veteran with playoff experience. That's not making a lot of money. That won't be hard to fit into our cap. Would you do it at that point is really where I get it. I'd get at. And is that worth it?
1: It's an interesting idea. The three goalie thing, uh, realistically speaking, if they were to run with three goalies, it's just going to mean Martin Jones isn't going to play right. Like that's, what's going to happen is that he'll be on the roster, but he's not going to really play much. The red wings uh, carried three goalies. A lot of the first couple months of the season and Alex Lyon never played. And then they got injuries and it turned out he was the best of the three and he's had the net ever since. But that's realistically what happened is that the guy perceived third just didn't play. So from that perspective, I don't think it would be a crazy idea to deal Martin Jones. It's a tough one to me. I do find it sympathetic, the argument that if he has to be used in the playoffs for any notable stretch, you're in trouble anyway. So I'd be open to the idea. I don't know how much value you can really get back from Martin Jones. He was waived early in the season and no one claimed him, but he did play better. I guess if you were going to trade him, I would say don't play him any more games because the way things have been trending, you don't want to hurt the trade value anymore, but I'd be open to it if it helps you add a forward, but I don't think it's a particular desperate need to to move a goalie out.
2: It also clears a little bit of cap space. I know it's not a lot, but it does clear a little bit of cap. If you get a pick, let's call it a fourth. Like to me, if anything worse than a fourth is not worth it. But, and they already have three fifths, but if you get a fourth, then potentially trading the third is a little bit more palatable to the point where, like, if that's what it costs to get like Alex Carrier, and you get a fourth back for Martin Jones, and you know you kind of sort out the dollars on it all, you know you're not going to draft in the second and third round in that scenario, but at least you have two fourths, three fifths, your first. It all helps. It all helps. That like again, but it's it's the it's the weighing the risk of is not going to keep it together the rest of the way here? Is Wool going to stay healthy? does it even matter if they both go down then like who cares at that point so you know and then again does some team even offer up their fourth right like is is la just dying on the hill of, of cam talbot like are they just like yeah you know he's not that good and i don't even know if martin jones is a notable upgrade over cam talbot but at this point like literally just anything you know is is philly just gonna run You know this? uh, Are they going to run with Irsan and just call it a day with with Carter Hart? For sure, done for the rest of the year. Like Philly has two firsts, two seconds, a third, and a fourth. Like, are they really going to care about trading a fourth for Martin Jones in theory to give them at least some level of like proper backup insurance? Well, do you know who their
1: backup is now?
2: Cal Peterson. Yeah, Yeah, Cal Peterson. (laughs) Yeah, and he stinks. So, you know, you know, it's like. Like is a fourth the you got Philly's like the the most interesting team to me in the sense that I like, I love Philly. I I think they, they've maxed out what they can get out of this roster. They work their tails off. Like I have so much time for them as a team and the program that they're starting to put together. And I know there's all this talk about being sensible and selling and, and making sure that you're good for the real thing down the road. But I also think there's something to recognizing that your guys have played 110% 110 percent this year and it there is something to
0: rewarding them so rewarding I know I th- with Martin Jones I yeah it's, but at it's least some level, an incredible reward
2: definitely not but like that's the territory that they're thinking right now right where it's like we're not like gonna be active buyers and they're debating selling but it's like hey can we just like solidify something a little bit better and I do think he would do that I think he's I think he's better than like notably better than Cal Peterson at this point. And I would trust him more in a playoff game than I would Irsan at this point. So, which is not, again, saying much, but I'm just saying for the right pick and the right opportunity, I think there's something there. And I, also, we didn't really talk too much about forwards other, like I mentioned Vitrano, but I do think you could look at potentially adding a penalty killing forward, right? Like, I, you know, I think Duhame's names out there quite a bit. I just wish he was right-handed based on the Leafs mix. He's a lefty. Otherwise I like him. He's 26, he's fast, he's a good penalty killer, he's physical. Just how many left wingers are you possibly going to have? <laughs> right where it becomes ridiculous. And again, I like Pontus Holmberg a lot, so I definitely don't want him out of the lineup. The only like right-handed guy depth down the lineup that I I like is Oscar Sungfors just you know, he fits your profile of like big playoff experience. He has some physicality. He can produce a little bit. He can penalty kill. He can take some shifts at center if you need right-handed, which again, like the theme of the deadline for them is like, they need right-handed guys.
0: My, yeah, my guy in that vein is Justin Danforth on the Blue Jackets. I know that he, it's a it's a dangerous, like, this guy popped against the Leafs, therefore I think he's good type of selection. No, he actually so, is good. He is like good. They've moved him. He's been a guy who goes ups and up and down that lineup. He's versatile. He started killing penalties this year. He's under contract for next season for $1.1 Like It's kind of different player stylistically to Sam Lafferty, but kind of the same idea uh, as having another layer of depth there. He's also a guy, like a late bloomer. I, I believe he's 30. So he's the yeah, type he of player is. Columbus doesn't believe they need to develop, so they're gonna not prioritize giving him like he's gotten pushed down the lineup in part to make room for young forwards who are part of their future, as opposed to because he sucks. Like it's weird to be like, oh, yeah. let's get a guy who's on the fourth line in Columbus. It's like he's on the fourth line for an organizational reason, not because he's not a good player. He's
2: actually good, and I thought, I think with not that Yarmo Kekalainen was doing a good job because obviously he wasn't, but he's like if he were still in charge, I think he would cost more than he costs now because that was a guy he brought in that was playing up the lineup and succeeding and that he extended. And so sometimes players kind of fall into this category where a new general manager comes in, maybe not as familiar with the player. They're just looking at the specs of, of other things, more important, big picture things of the lineup, right? Like I, I think that partly played into Simon Benoit as an example, right? Like he had a big fan in Dallas Eakins, who's the coach, and then he got fired and then they just didn't qualify him. And you look at Anaheim now and go, how on earth did they not qualify that guy? So sometimes in those change management situations, we'll call them players become more available or more easily available to acquire. I I agree. I actually really like Justin Danforth. I just, he was a guy I've always thought, like, I think they really like him. I don't know if they would actually trade him, but his speed is legit.
0: If he were 25, they would not trade him. But because Definitely. he's the age he is, like they may not see him as part of their future. We're running a little low on time here, so before we get out of here, I want to ask both of you what you think the Maple Leafs are going to do at the deadline and what you would want to do if you were the Maple Leafs. I'll start with you, Alex. Oh, boy. Um, I don't anticipate...
1: A lot of fireworks at this deadline. It feels like they've been priming the audience to sort of expect something more in the moderate side because of some of the comments we've heard. But uh, I think they'll add uh, defenseman. I don't think they'll pay the top dollar for Tanev. I will withhold the name because I don't know exactly what I would predict at this point in time. But I think they'll add a defenseman and let's say they'll add one fourth line forward sort of sort of thing um and in terms of what i would do i'd probably try to get carrier and then a Duhame danforth type and call it a day if you can make the assets work
2: that's fair um yeah i i'm not sold that he'll pay up for chris tanev i'm really not sold so it's, you know, again, probably a bit more of a, a depth at also, if you look at just his general history as a general, you know, being a GM with Calgary, he was not a huge spender come deadline time. So it won't be as exciting for fans. That's for sure. where you know, Dubas is buying like crazy, probably almost a little bit too much to the point where it offset the, like it, it unbalanced the lineup and, and it took them a while to put things in, in place because there were just so many moving parts. So yeah, I would guess that he brings in some sort of depth, one for each position. If it was me, I would probably be taking a massive swing to see if I could convince Hannafin to to sign. I would be definitely calling all Ottawa and weighing what it costs to pick up Chikrin. And failing those two, yeah, I'd probably go the Carrier route as well and look for some level of depth addition at forward just to bring in another guy and to see if I could flip a pick for and get Mart like get a pick for Martin Jones potentially bring something back the other way
0: I think that's fair I asked this question without a concrete uh, answer of my own and I have thought about that answer for approximately the 60 seconds that you guys took I I kind of have a feeling that Maybe that they will get of. I don't want them to in the sense I don't think it's the right move necessarily, but I do think that for living is the type of guy who really puts a value on that toughness. I think that he likes making a big swing. He hasn't always done it at this time of year necessarily, but he likes that in a general sense. Um, and it's, you know, it's obviously a guy he's incredibly familiar with. Um, so It just it makes so much sense that I feel like I can really see him caving and doing that. Maybe some kind of depth forward if it works. If I were them, yeah, it's the Seattle guys that I like to be honest, and I'd just be harassing them and being like, "Listen, you guys aren't going to be good. Like, you guys need to figure it out and take these premium assets from me because uh, just think about your future." But. Beyond that, yeah. Again, like I said, Justin Danforth is my guy as a death forward. We'll see if he's someone who ends up moving. We will leave hey, it there. Sorry, hey we'll Ron leave.
2: Francis, you guys stink. <laughs> yeah, I'm that's doing my, you a favor.
0: My yeah. my primary strategy is <laughs> negging Ron Francis.
2: Ne- negotiation 101 from Nick Ashporn to end episode 58 or 60 of the Maple Leaf Podcast.
0: <laughs> Precisely. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna leave it off right there. We will talk to you again at some point next uh, next week. Potentially around the trade uh, trade deadline we we'll might have something special for you. It's just going to be a bit of a complicated time for the Maple Leafs and for us, so we're going to sort of chase where the news is, where the developments are. We appreciate you guys tuning in and we love when you leave us ratings, reviews and just tell folks about us as we continue to grow. Thanks again. Everyone is looking at me. Now we're down by three Look inside yourself, what do you see? The pain is in your mind, no, nothing stops me
1: Everyone is looking at me I just want Now we're down by three
0: Look inside yourself, I know what I see Do you have the guts to do?